Happy uh, day before hump day. Happy Tuesday. Uh, I'm Jason Whitlock. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Going to dispense. I'm going to quit updating you guys on Uncle Jimmy. He's doing great. Talked to him last night. It's the best I've heard him sound. Uh, I think he's getting some stitches out maybe early next week. Uh, but keep Uncle Jimmy your thoughts and prayers. We uh, can't wait to have him back here. I think he, I'm hoping next week he'll join us uh, via Skype. Uh, but we certainly appreciate your positive energy and good thoughts and prayers. Uh, but the show must roll on. And <laughs> lucky for you, I'm still here. And I've got a great show planned for us today. An awesome show. Uh, the smartest man on the show, Delano Squire, is going to be here. He's written a blockbuster column. Uh, we'll get into that with him. Uh, that'll probably be in about an hour, I would think. Uh, Shamika Michelle, she's going to be on the show. Will help me talk about uh, Cam Newton and uh, Netflix and, and the potential walkout by Netflix employees. We'll talk to Shamika Michelle about that. Uh, we'll have my Asian brother from another mother, uh, Steve Kim, on the show uh, very shortly. He's going to help me start a fire. Although I'm going to start this fire all by myself, he's going to help me keep the blaze going uh, after I start this fire. Because I've got a smoker. I've got a real smoker. It's one of my favorite columns I've ever written. Uh, it's one of my favorite monos I've ever written. Uh, and it picks up on what we were talking about yesterday. Larry Miller and Nike and what's, what's really going on. I had a chance to do some additional research and kind of finalize my thoughts on that whole issue. And we're gonna get into it today in a big way because it won't just be, a, be about uh, Larry Miller. I'm gonna broaden the discussion and try to explain to you how it applies to all of America, to Sports Illustrated, to all the corruption we're seeing. Anyway, fantastic show. Buckle up and get ready. First thing I need you to do before you give away my uh, <laughs> monologue, the first thing I need you to do is hit that subscribe and like button. I need you to man up and join the fearless army. I need you to go out and recruit other soldiers, men and women who want to be fearless and want to take this country back from the people trying to steal it. So I need you to go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock, hit that subscribe button. I need you to hop in the comments, leave me a comment. I read virtually all of them. Hop in the live chat. I'm there a lot of days. I'm gonna try to be there tonight as we watch the show and I'll comment along with you. There, again, I try to tell people that people are, oh, is that really Whitlock? Yeah, it's really me in my little Ball State uniform and the Jason Whitlock in the live chat, that's me. I like the show just as much as you like the show, and I'm the general of this fearless army that we're building, I need you all to man up and join the fearless army. Easiest way to do it is hit that subscribe button, uh, make some comments, but most importantly, tell your friends to come join us in this fearless army because they get to hear fire starters like this. All right, <clears throat> Nike founder Phil Knight He's the modern day Don Corleone. 
the mafia kingpin portrayed in the iconic Godfather movies. For writing this, I half expect to find a horse's head lying beneath the covers of my bed. Or maybe Phil Knight will dispatch one of his soldiers to make me an offer I can't refuse. Perhaps it will be Larry Miller, the chairman of Jordan Brand, the Phil Knight soldier profiled on the cover of the latest Sports Illustrated. In a glowing 2,800-word stenography-slash-hayography written by Howard Beck, Miller confesses to murdering an 18-year-old black boy in 1965 while a member of the Philadelphia street gang. The profile contends Miller is confessing to the murder. This is his second confession. He confessed to the police a day after the murder. But he, it contends he's confessing the murder on the pages of Sports Illustrated because he and his daughter are writing a memoir of his life and he was afraid the details of the crime would leak. This is why I analogize Phil Knight to Vito Corleone, the Don of Dons. If you remember in Godfather 1, Don Corleone uses his friends in the media to write a friendly narrative about his son Michael murdering a dirty New York cop. Only Knight and Nike have the power to get Sports Illustrated to write a puff piece about an executive who rose to power while concealing the fact that from age 13 to 30, he was a violent and routinely incarcerated member of a street gang. The story contends that Miller worked alongside Knight, Michael Jordan, and NBA commissioners David Stern and Adam Silver for nearly three decades without their knowledge of his criminal past. In addition to his high-level roles at Nike, Miller was the president of the Portland Trailblazers from 2007 until 2012. At the age of 16, Miller confessed to the second-degree murder of Edward White, a man Miller killed for no reason. White had no criminal history and was not involved in gang activity. Listen to this quote from Larry Miller. That's what makes it even more difficult for me, because it was for no reason at all, Miller told Beck during a 90-minute interview. I mean, there was no valid reason for this to happen, and that's the thing that I really struggle with, and that's, you know, it's the thing that I think about every day. It's like, I did this, and to someone who, it was, it was no reason to do it, and that's the part that really bothers me. If you read the Sports Illustrated profile, it's laced with sympathy for Miller, not White. Adam Silver's reaction to learning Miller murdered an innocent man 56 years ago is breathtaking. Listen to what Adam Silver told Sports Illustrated. I then went from stunned to amazed that Larry had managed his long and very successful professional career operating at the highest levels in our industry with this secret firmly intact and was ultimately left with a feeling of sadness that Larry had carried this burden all these years without the support of his many friends and colleagues. My God, I just, I just tear up thinking about this burden that Larry carried. How powerful is Phil Knight?
the commissioner of a major sports league is filled with sadness for the perpetrator of a murder, not the victim. Sports Illustrated published a 2,800 word story that never provided a single detail about Miller's other crimes. Miller only did four years for the murder of Edward White. 11 years after the murder, Miller filed a petition to set aside his guilty plea on the basis of ineffective legal counsel. According to court documents, Miller filed that petition while in prison for a conviction on a kidnapping charge. Did you, did you catch that? I'll go back. I, I, I want to make sure they catch that. According to court documents, Miller filed that petition while in prison for a conviction on a kidnapping charge. Sports Illustrated published none of this information. You can read it for yourself at casetext.com. Beck also never mentioned charges of burglary, theft, and weapons, which are all publicly available at, <laughs> what is it, paccourts.pacourts.us? You can find it on Google, on the internet. It ain't hard. Here's what Beck made a point to mention and emphasize. This is a direct quote from the story. I'm not, I promise you, I'm not making this up. Since Miller returned to Jordan brand in 2012, the company has expanded its roster of female athletes, launched the Jordan women's line, and increased its presence in college and sports outside basketball. He also has overseen the development of Jordan Brand's social impact platform known as Wings. Now, I just wanna be clear. I'm not interested in denigrating Larry Miller. The courts punished him for his crimes. He does not appear to require additional punishment. My concern is what his life's what does his life say about modern America, corporate media, and Nike's power? Miller's story of redemption is being framed inaccurately. Corporate media is obsessed with telling stories focused on alleged systemic racism and how America must be radically changed in order to achieve racial justice. By Larry Miller's own admission, he tossed away 17 years of his life as a career criminal. He then changed course and became a multimillionaire, high-level sports executive. Miller's story proves this is the land of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and 28th chances, regardless of skin color. Miller's story proves that corporate media is in bed with major corporations and will withhold the truth at the behest of its corporate overlords. Miller's story proves corporate media and major corporations are the proponents of unequal justice. 
Miller's actual crimes are rationalized away. Meanwhile, football coach John Gruden's email fault crimes are exaggerated and used to frame him as evil and unworthy of leadership. That's unequal justice. Miller told Sports Illustrated that he's been blown away by how positive the response has been to his murder confession. The real story here is the power of Nike and Phil Knight. Knight is the most powerful man in American popular culture. He controls the sports world and therefore oversees the most potent content in popular culture. Knight and Nike erased memories of Kobe Bryant's rape allegation and public use of a homophobic slur, turning Mamba into a deity no one can question. Transitioning Miller from gangbanger to shoe salesman, that was easy. The media will not dare ask why or how. That would be racist. That would go against the occult and belief in the miracles Knight regularly produces. Water into wine? Not bad. Try murderer into mogul. Larry Miller has played an influential role in Nike history and is a beloved member of the Nike family. That's a quote from Nike CEO John Donahoe. That's a statement he gave to Sports Illustrated. He finished it by saying, his story is an example of the resilience, perseverance, and strength of the human spirit. I hope his experience can create a healthy discourse around criminal justice reform by helping remove the stigma that holds people and communities back. Yeah, <laughs> it's the stigma that held Edward White back. It wasn't a bullet, it was a stigma. Three decades ago, Nike removed or ignored the stigma around Larry Miller's name and used him to strengthen Nike's stranglehold on drug dealers, the hip hop crowd, and prison culture. The gym shoe wars played out across America's urban streets. 30 years ago, Miller knew far more about the streets than gym shoes. He was a valuable resource in need of an image makeover. No one does image makeovers better than Phil Knight and Nike. Knight's $50 billion a year Nike empire dwarfs the NFL and the NBA's financial impact, global reach, and ability to shift culture. Knight is the 21st century's Walt Disney. The shoemaker is America's puppet master and primary cultural gatekeeper. Through his management of Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Colin Kaepernick, and influence over the NBA and NFL, Knight has made the American sports world bend to the will of the market that matters the most to Nike, China. 30 years ago, Sports Illustrated would be covering that story rather than the repackaging of Larry Miller as a social justice warrior with a dirty little secret. That's my fire. That's my big picture thought on the significance of Larry Miller on the cover of Sports Illustrated packaged as some hero for confessing to murder. 
leaving out all the other details, the kidnapping, the burglaries, the weapons, the theft, the, the fact that Nike captured the market by capturing the inner city drug hip hop culture war. You think Larry Miller was perhaps an asset in that fight? You think maybe that's an explanation for how you go from gangbanger to Nike billion, millionaire, president of the Portland Trailblazers? But let's don't touch on any of that. Let's all ignore any of that. All right, I'm gonna bring in uh, my man Steve Kim here from out in Los Angeles and see uh, his take on my take on Larry Miller and what Sports Illustrated has done here. Uh, I, I get, we talked with John Casano uh, yesterday from the Portland Oregonian that you know Nike's headquartered in Portland and he had actually talked to Larry Miller. He had questions and thought the, the, uh, the Sports Illustrated puff piece actually raised more questions than it answered. So Steve, I wanna start there. Uh, you've heard my mono. You've read the Sports Illustrated piece. What, what are your questions coming out of reading that piece and this whole Larry Miller story? Well, first of all, hello, Jason, and everyone out there. Uh, real simple, I said this to you last week. Public relations is what they want you to put out there. Journalism is unveil, uh, revealing stuff that they don't. And this here was a very compelling story, but framing is important. And the way they framed it certainly had a certain bent. Uh, but also, there is that term that I think I uttered last week, lies by omission. I mean, that's a very important part of the story that was not revealed, it was not written about, and your guest yesterday laid it out perfectly. And in stories like that, I think our jobs as writers and journalists is just to lay out the facts, because facts are agnostic, facts are very black and white, one plus one equals two. And in my view, instead of trying to shape a narrative or to push an opinion, let the people decide. Is this guy worthy of our sympathy? Is this really a story of redemption? And that's what really got to me. Also, uh, Jason, at the end of your monologue, you quoted uh, what the Nike CEO said about this sparks a uh, discussion about criminal justice reform. That's what really stuck to me. I truly believe this is part of a larger agenda about pushing that whole narrative that we need criminal justice reform, which in a lot of ways, the more and more I research it, is really about district attorneys and prosecutors refusing to do their jobs. Because with all this talk of defunding the police, the real issue is even when criminals are caught, they are not actually punished for it. You are de-incentivizing um, the law enforcement to do their job because you're incentivizing crime with some deleterious results. And the underlying message here to me is, is what they're trying to push is, see, we need to be easier on crime because there's a bunch of Larry Millers out there waiting to happen. And so that's why we can't have recidivism when you can have redemption, when in truth, I, my view is a Larry Miller is an anomaly. Uh, I think that is part of the agenda. I think, which, I think that's part of how they talk Sports Illustrated into publishing their narrative. But I think the real motivation here is someone was potentially blackmailing Larry Miller, threatening Larry Miller, we're gonna expose. You can't be involved 
in the things he was involved in in a city like Philadelphia without people talking about it and knowing exactly who he was. And so someone was probably threatening to out him and he decided and Nike decided we're going to grab the narrative first. We're going to put out our version of the truth and let that set and frame the discussion moving forward. And so and then when they start thinking about, well, okay, who do we give this story to? How do they frame this story? That's when they add in the criminal justice piece and someone adds this quote about how, yeah, this is criminal justice reform and, you know, uh, half the guys in prison are baby Larry Millers and they're all going to be CEOs of major brands if we just let them out of prison. And, and, and it, it sounds like I'm just beating up Larry Miller. I, 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 Steve, I've spoken at prisons. I'm sympathetic, uh, very sympathetic to guys caught up in the prison system. I've defended people that have done really bad things and said, hey, look, Greg Hardy would be a, a great example of someone I say, hey, look, man, he deserves a second chance in the NFL. We need to leave him alone. I, Michael Vick, when he came out of prison and got back into the NFL, big defender of Michael Vick, love what Michael Vick stands for and represents. I'm all for that but I'm also not gonna put on some rose-colored glasses and act like uh, everybody in prison is the next Michael Vick or the, the next even Larry Miller, because I'm still not sure because there is no explanation in this hastily thrown together story what Larry Miller actually did for Nike and for Michael Jordan. I, you know, there's a little throwaway lines about what he did for women and women's sports and all that. But there's nobody that, that said, oh, man, when he came up with the idea to uh, come up with the Air Jordan brand or, or whatever his contribution was tonight, there, there's none of that. And th that's why I go back to Steve. I'm old enough to remember when when Nike was debuting new versions of the Air Jordans, they would go into the inner cities and show them to the major drug dealers in the communities first and get the buy-in there. And, and so when I start trying to think about what Larry Miller's value may have really been to Nike, particularly early on, it may be street connections. I mean, this guy was, and, and if you know anything about Philadelphia, you know, why that's a different place and uh, you know go read up on marvin harrison and just and so i i just i i just i don't feel like i know or understand larry miller any better from this story that's an interesting focus groups the bloods and the crips but anyway with that said a couple things here <laughs> number one i'm not interested in relitigating larry miller's uh crimes he served his penance to society. I'm good with him, just as I am with Michael Vick or even Greg Hardy. Uh, number two, they are trying to paint this revisionist history like, oh, my God, what a sympathetic figure, the burden he has to live with. Yeah, not as much as the White family. Uh, let's let's not gloss over that. The other factor uh, to me that I think is really interesting is that I, I do wonder if the Jordan brand and by the way, I've joked about this in the past, and it's not that much of a joke. At least a quarter of my 
wardrobe is Jordan brand. It's interesting. I've never bought the shoes, but the Jordan brand sweats, uh, sandals, slippers, shirts, sweaters, hoodies are the Jordan brand. Never once did I buy it because of their CEO, Larry Miller. Didn't even know who he was. I bought it because of Michael Jeffrey Jordan and his greatness. So you could talk about how he's lifted the portfolio. At the end of the day, one thing sells Jordan brand, Jordan. Him, him as a player, him as an icon, him as an individual. The other thing that's interesting, and, and tell me if I'm completely out of bounds here, if I'm just going com- Asian Oliver Stone. Years ago, and this was dealt with in that 30 for 30 last year, it's a famous story, where Michael Jordan would not go against Jesse Helms in this uh, senator or this political race in North Carolina, going against the wishes of his mom. And Michael Jordan famously said, uh, hey, Republicans buy shoes too. And for years, I think that's not haunted him, but it's bothered him the perception that he doesn't care about black or urban America. Do you think that plays any part of it that he wants to maybe wipe that whole thing away and, and maybe wipe the slate clean? Well, what I think of is that I, I, I think Jordan's alliances and friendships Remember the guy that he was gambling with? He he rolled up a gambling debt with yes. some guy on the golf course right. that had some kind of criminal background. Uh, here's he's got this association with with Larry Miller. Uh, I could see Jordan not wanting to face a level of personal scrutiny, and that's a reason why you stay out of politics is because. Once you involve yourself in politics, your whole personal life gets scrutinized. And I think Jordan never wanted to face that kind of public scrutiny. One, for, you know, for a long time, he was married to his first wife and doesn't sound like he was very faithful to her. Then when you add in his associations with people, uh, you know, perhaps with shady backgrounds, he doesn't want to expose himself in, in that regard. And so I think that's why Jordan stayed out of politics. But now what, what the media is offering is like if you're on the right side of the political aisle, we don't care about your background. We will rationalize and defend anything, including a, a guy confessing to murder in a magazine and saying, you know what, I may catch up a little later with Edward White's family and say something to them. You know, but first let me get this out here in Sports Illustrated, have Adam Silver uh, portray me as one of the, you know, the Malcolm X of my generation. And, you know, I, I'm the same as the guy, I can't remember the, the guy in the movie Pursuit of Happiness that Will Smith played, but you know, I'm the same as him. You know, I overcame all these obstacles and I overcame all this racism and uh, the stigmas against ex-cons and look at me, I'm the head of, of Nike and no one's gonna question anything. Steve, the, the, the other thing that I thought in reading the article, I just don't buy this notion that Jordan, Phil Knight, Adam Silver, David Stern, first they heard of any of this, David Stern's <laughs> passed now, but uh, first they heard of any of this was when Larry Miller confessed it here in the last week or two or last month, and, and, and oh my God, I, I had no idea. I'm just sorry, there's way too much well, gossip Jay, for Jay, no one ever heard this. There's a term I'm sure that has come across your desk or your mind. It's called getting ahead of the story. 
They definitely wanted to do that. Number two, cynically, this is a great PR ploy. It's a very salacious book. When you start adding crime and murder, book sales are important. They are in the business. But the other thing is, anytime you work for a major corporate entity, and I went through this, and I'm sure you did too, Jason, when the various places that you work, don't most places actually go through an extensive background search? And if you're able to actually find Larry Miller's crime reports or his arrest records, just Googling, you're right. I think there's a lot to say about your point, Jason. How did they not know? But again, I'm going back to my original point, getting ahead of the story. I find it, you know, regular people have their credit run, have all kinds of background checks done on them. And you gotta present a resume (laughs) at some point. And so from age, let's say people will be like, well, from age 21 to 30, well, I see you did some kitchen work. Where? Uh, uh, <laughs> at what uh, penal I, facility? I, I mean, you, I made you, a lot of life mop plate. floors. Yeah, I, I did some I mean, road work uh, here and there <laughs> on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Uh, you know, I'm we just, didn't have a union. Pay was kind of cheap, but the, they housed us and fed us a lot. The, the benefits were okay. Okay. Anyway. All, anyway. Complete medical covered. I'm used to yeah. complete medical coverage. <laughs> Um, we had three basketball so in the weight room, you know. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just I just don't buy that no one knew. I think there's a reason why Phil Knight isn't quoted in this story, uh, and and you know some flunky CEO John Donahoe is uh, Michael Jordan not quoted in this story. Only uh, Adam Silver, I, I don't believe Jordan was quoting that story. I gotta ref- I'm pretty sure I would have taken note if Jordan had said something. And so everybody has, everybody that matters, except for Adam Silver, has enough distance from this story. If it, if, you know, if people are, well, I wonder if they're gonna find out about the kidnap charge. I wonder if they're gonna find out about the burglary and the theft. I wonder if they're gonna ask any real questions about like, what's the real agenda here? Everybody. Michael Jordan's name's not on it, so he's gonna be fine. Phil, names, Phil Knight's name's not on it, he's gonna be fine. I, I, and again, I don't want anything to happen to Larry Miller. Maybe he's a great guy, maybe he's a great executive, maybe he turned on a dime and is one of the, the great business minds we'll ever meet and know or hear about. But, but the other thing, Steve, I, I just, This society where we've set up, where there's two different levels of consequence depending on your political affiliation or whether you're connected to Nike and and you're part of some bigger agenda, I I just sit here and say, oh my God, John Gruden is one of the worst people on the planet for writing a handful of emails and Larry Miller's profiled in a sympathetic fashion on the cover of Sports Illustrated, despite a laundry list of crimes that he was involved in. Jason, I've coined the term. It's the double standard, no standard. There's a double standard for you. There's no standard for me. And that is the world that we live in. You're right. And certain people are treated differently. And that does not mean equal. And it's really a shame. Uh, John Rudin will not get a second chance. I've kind of thought about it. 
Um, we went back to our discussion last week. It's all of a sudden he's the one racist in the National Football League. 650,000 emails. As soon as John Gruden was caught, well, we're all good. We're all clear. John Gruden almost seemed like a ritual sacrifice for some reason. And now that story will go away. Trust me. And I don't know if he'll ever coach again. I don't know if he'll ever get a, a major media job. While Larry Miller, for better or worse, will be part of this image rehabilitation that was already been in place for the past 25, 30 years. I don't begrudge Larry Miller's success. I, I truly believe people do believe second and third chances. Mm. With that said, though, as a writer, we have a responsibility when you do stories of this nature to lay out everything. But I do wonder, Jason, it's a question I have for you. If Howard Beck, who I believe is the author, if you would have actually laid out everything that you talked about, along with the writer you had on yesterday, maybe in his own mind, he's thinking, I don't want that heat being listed as a racist because you know what would happen, that people would then harp on not the story, but the author of why you bring in this up, why you're drudging it up. And this one, once again, is the evil white media empire, the man conspiring against Larry Miller. He may have not wanted that heat. That's the reality, too, of that situation. I think you raise a valid point. I, I think that's probably a thought that ran through Howard Beck's mind. Uh, he certainly, I think all he had to do to cover himself, a couple of sentences, uh, you know, uh, maybe three about here's the other charges that he faced, and then he, he's more covered. Here's a phone call I made to someone in Edward White's family, and here's a comment from them. Uh, or, hey, we need to wait another week until I do some additional reporting. But clearly to me, someone made Howard Beck an offer he couldn't refuse. This story needed to be done in a microwave and pushed out as quick as possible. That's why I say someone was pressuring, blackmailing, threatening Larry Miller and Nike with exposure, and they decided uh, to get out in, fr in front of this story. But, but, but I do feel like Howard Beck and all of these white sports journalists today are under tremendous pressure not to say or write a word that irritates black Twitter or the blue check woke crowd over Twitter, because once they label you a racist, then they get to push you out of your job or make it impossible for you to work anywhere. And so I think you're right. Howard Beck wrote the story that he was forced to write. I'm sitting here in amazement, though, that me and John Cassano seem to be the only people able to spot only journalists able to spot the BS in this and then write about it. I mean, can, can remember, what was it, seven years ago when Deadspin was making a living with uh, exposing the fraudulence of the Manti Teo girlfriend story? Mm -hmm. And all, there is no fact checking of the sports media anymore. It's all just agenda checking, well, narrative checking. Jason, there was a great quote from Denzel Washington that applies to all forms of media. I think it was him that said, if you don't read the newspaper, you're not informed. However, if you read the newspaper, you're misinformed. And it, it, that, that's why to me, I, I don't really read a lot of the uh, mainstream media anymore because I believe a lot of it is just messaging that's approved and certain agendas. 
And thankfully, there are alternative sources to media, whether it's on YouTube or other channels, people with their own platforms. And you have to be very, very uh, discerning in terms of what you consume. Now, in terms of going to the major websites, I get a lot of factual information, like a schedule or statistics. But in stories like this, I, I tell you one thing, it's, it's a far cry from the days of Gary Smith, a guy I grew up reading at Sports Illustrated who did some of the best personal profiles I've ever read. And I always got the sense that when Gary Smith laid out a story and it was his byline on it, I felt as though I'm getting a 360 degree accurate look, the complete spectrum of an individual. And for the most part, it was going to be accurate, not an agenda. Not so sure that exists anymore, Jason. Gary Smith was a talented writer. Uh, Sports Illustrated has always fudged the truth and preferred narrative over fact. I'm not saying that about Gary Smith, I'm saying that about Sports Illustrated. It's always been the case. I will say this though, the, the media used to be, have more regard and respect and reverence for the truth than it does now. It, 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 narrative is the only thing that matters now. Uh, before I let you go, because uh, we've stayed on this a little longer than I anticipated, but I wanted to know your thoughts on the Washington State coach. I know you follow the Pac-12. Uh, he got forced out for refusing the Washington State football coach. I think his name is Nick Rolovich. Uh, yes. Got forced out, uh, forced out for refusing to take the vaccine. You know, I give him credit. I, I salute I hear yeah. this all the time. If you want to make a personal decision, live with the consequences, whether you agree or disagree, that's what he's doing. Here's what I find alarming is I, I see a lot of these blue checkmark college football reporters wagging the finger at Nick Rolovich being so judgmental. Here's the question that I have. Are there any of these writers on the national stage, guys that we've read for years, who actually agree with Rolovich and are afraid to publicly state that they agree with them or are they just not allowed to? And Nick Rolovich made it clear, his body, his choice, just like Cam Newton. I'm not going to rip or demonize Cam Newton. He has a job to do that he still wants to play football, still has a passion for it. So he felt like, hey, I've got to do this. And he made a bit of a public spectacle about it. But again, his body, his choice. I can't be upset at anybody for going in either direction, because quite frankly, it's not my business. But anyone like a Nick Rolovich or an Allison Williams at ESPN who recently lost her job because she would not go with the vaccine mandate, I feel for them. And as, as you hear them lay out their arguments, and I saw a video from Allison Williams talking about, hey, I want to have a second child, and I'm a little bit afraid of the fertility issues that I've read about. I, I don't want to hear that it's just these political right-wing nut jobs that are anti-vax. They are not. They are basically against the mandate, and they'd like a little bit more information. And to me, that is very, very understandable, and I'm sympathetic towards these people and their plight. I think the, the mandates and the way they're being used in sports, it's, it's mental training. This is, it's mental training for obedience. And yes. this country has never been about obedience. It's been about freedom. Now we're being defined by government obedience. And I look across at the people rolling over and it, like Cam Newton just rolled over and put, again, I got no problem with Cam taking the vax. I have a problem with him recording it and putting it out there. And look how obedient I am. 
And so now accept me. And so when I look at everybody that uh, is pretending like they're defending the vax and they don't understand why anybody would not want to take the vax. I think that's people that just like they've been brutalized mentally to the point and they're so fearful that, you know what, I'm being obedient. Everybody should be obedient. We, we, we have no basic understanding of American freedom and what made this country great. Uh, civil disobedience and the things like tools that were used to win more freedom are now uh, being used to take away freedom. The world is upside down right now. I, I, and I don't know, know if we even know how to get upside right or Jason, upside up. Jason, the word you're looking for is compliance. And can we be honest about this? This is not a political statement, but it's going to upset people. But if 12 to 14 months ago, if there was a vaccine mandate under that other leadership, people would have called it tyranny. Let, let's just be dead on straight about that. But, Jay, before I go, I, I wanted to t- touch on something. Last night, great Monday night football game, another great night of entertainment of American tackle. Did you happen to see your guy, your old friend, uh, Chris Broussard, talking about the game? I did not. What What did I? He was on the Monday. <laughs> talking about where clip. it went. Yeah, can we roll that clip, guys? Interesting. What happened on the play? Yes, Josh Allen Smith or Josh Allen Slip. But it got blown up on the left side because of the pressure of Tennessee. I wonder why. Could it be because ten, uh, Buffalo's Pro Bowl left tackle, Taylor Lewan, was injured? If he's there, maybe that doesn't happen. But he's out. So you got a second stringer that Josh Allen's trying to go behind, and you see he got destroyed. Dawkins, whoever that is. All right, so that's the problem. You're not good in the red zone overall. Mm. Jay, you see the problem uh, with that? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with being wrong, but when you're loud and wrong, and uh, Broussard's an NBA expert, not an NFL ne- uh, uh, expert. Taylor Lewan, of course, plays for the Tennessee Titans and was willed off for the Tennessee Titans, not for the Buffalo Bills. But uh, Stephen A, I mean, Stephen A, uh, Chris Broussard is a basketball expert and and probably should talk basketball. Well, look, they put him in that position. Here's, look, we've all made mistakes. We've all had typos. We've all had clerical errors. We've all been wrong, Jason. So, you know, look, we shouldn't always cast stones, but it's the Monday night football game. That's the one game of the day. It's not like you're watching a regional broadcast. I mean, I was half expecting Bruce Sard to say that Howard House Ballard missed the uh, block and that Jim Kelly slipped and they should have actually handed the ball off to Joe Cribbs or Thurman Thomas. That's, that's just my view of it, though. But basketball season yeah. starts. Bruce Sard can go back to his beat. And, uh, of course, I won't watch well ever, but, you know, he's back to his beat. Anyway. Breaking news, Chris Broussard got a fact wrong, a fact wrong, according, and if, if Chris broke the news, it would be according to uh, Mark sources. Stein. Oh, okay. <laughs> sources. Okay. I know sources. Yeah, sources. Yeah, there it is. Sources. All right. Uh, all right. Thank you, Steve. You just gotten me in trouble. I didn't want to do that. All right. Uh, Bonner Private Wines, our friends, over at Bonner Private Wines have taken 
the skill of making fine wines and turned it into an incredible art form. This is all made possible because they've traveled the world to find the finest quality grapes to make the best wines possible. Their wines are truly incredible, especially compared to the wines you get at your local supermarket. Uh, by joining their wine club, you aren't going to get bulk overpriced wines with fancy looking labels that don't taste great. Instead, you're going to get amazing selections from people that have a love and passion for crafting the best wines on the market. I can attest to this. Last night, I'm on the elevator coming up from the gym and uh, in my apartment. Two young ladies stopped me and asked me to, uh, anyway, they end up at my apartment and they want to drink some wine. <laughs> so I broke out the Bonner Private Wines and really impressed them. Uh, it was quite the night. Uh, and so I just want to thank my friends at BonnerPrivateWines.com uh, slash fearless, you'll get 50% off the wine and 50% off shipping. Just visit bonnerprivatewines.com slash fearless. It worked for me last night. Hats off to Bonner Private Wines. You hooked up a fearless soldier. Now I need my fearless soldiers to hook up Bonner Private Wines. Go to bonnerprivatewines.com slash fearless. Get 50% off. Worked for me last night. It might work for you. Shamoke Show, I like that new music they got behind there. Let's make that permanent. That was good. That was fitting. All right, let's roll out to North Carolina and bring in Shamika Michelle. Uh, Shamika, I, I, I wanted to talk about uh, Cam Newton uh, because one, Cam's a fashionista. And so, <clears throat> I, you know, I, I wanted your thoughts on Cam as a fashionista, but also, I thought, you know, all last week I talked about men being emasculated. And I thought what Cam put on video, showing himself getting the vaccine and getting vaccinated, is just like the NFL has completely punked Cam Newton. And he came out with his Funky Friday video. I think he posted on Sunday or whatever. I, I think we have some highlights or clips let's play the clips and then you and i will talk about it it's two things with that number one hell yeah i want to still play football i got the vaccination being a free agent um touching uncharted waters and the number one question rightfully so is is can vaccinate it but long story short Man, I'm just waiting on the right opportunity. You're probably asking yourself, don't nobody want Cam. That's a lie. I've been getting offers. But the, real, the realization of it is, it has to be right. So it's all a, pot, a part of the melting pot of do what's best for you and do not allow nobody else to make you think anything different, whether you get the shot or you don't, just stay healthy. And I, we're keeping it funky in all regards. I got my vaccination card, I wanna play football, and stop damn judging people if they do or if they don't got the vaccination. Straight up, because it is what it is. We all got our lives to live, and uh, you live your life to the best of your ability. I just couldn't imagine 
making more than $100 million and being age 32, having, you know, screwed up my career and basically being left for dead in the NFL. And then putting out this video, I just couldn't imagine having, he's made $100 million, he's not broke, he's consistently said he's not broke and he's got generational wealth. And so I just, I, if he wanted to get the vaccine, I get it. If he feels like that's a step he has to take to get back into the NFL, but putting out this video and basically dropping to your knees in front of everyone and bending over, uh, basically, I mean, they, they, they sh he didn't get the shot in the arm. He got the shot in the ass. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 anyway, I just, I needed a woman's perspective. Did it come off the same to you? You know, I thought when I got this that it was meant for me to have high blood pressure because it just made me so upset. It just it aggravated me. And then for him to say a man's got to do what a man's got to do. I mean, what is that? Bend over and get because this is just all I see is buck breaking. So for you to say a man's got to do what a man, I don't see a man right now. And then he wants to tell us don't judge. Well, if you didn't want us to judge, why are you putting it out there in the public? Why not do what a lot of athletes have done, which is make the decision in private. And he talk, he's talking about he wants to inspire people. Inspire people to do what? Be weak? Inspire people to do what? Be walked over? Inspire people to do what exactly? And he's asking for support. I support men who stand flat-footed in their decision, whatever it is, who, who are not trying to be out here gaining and groveling for acceptance. That's what I support. I do not support this foolishness. And he's sitting there with a Superman emblem on his chest. I have met a lot of real life supermen, but what they are not are, are weak punks and they buy their pants in the size they're supposed to be. <laughs> you, you've, you've said a mouthful there. You've, you've mixed in some other comments that I wanted to get to in terms of Cam's fashion choices, but, but, but I, I say this, I'm a Cam fan and wanted Cam to be an elite NFL superstar. It hasn't happened for a variety of reasons, injuries being a part of it. I also think Cam has the wrong mental makeup, but I also think this video shows that, that there is some mental weakness from Cam and, and people will hear that and hear it as just this vicious, vicious shot. And, and it's really not. I have a mental weakness as it relates to uh, McDonald's drive-through windows and Burger King drive-through windows and Wendy's drive-through windows. We all have our mental weaknesses. I, Cam's not alone in that. But when it comes to someone forcing me to do something, I do not believe. And that's my issue with Cam. He doesn't believe in the vaccine. He was forced into doing this punked by the NFL and all the group pressure. And, and to me, the better choice, rather than getting the vaccine, and that's why I'm such a Lamar Jackson supporter. I hope Lamar Jackson wins the Super Bowl, the MVP, and everything this year, because he won't be broken as it relates to the vaccine. He's 24, 25, in the prime of his health, feels like the vaccine isn't for him, hats off to him. 
people will hear this is again that I'm some sort of crazed anti-vax person. I'm not. I've said it repeatedly. The vax is for 50-year-old fat people like myself. These athletes in the prime of their lives, in the prime of health, it's not for them. Stand strong if that's what you believe in. Don't get on here putting out videos groveling and begging to get I took the vax, I took it up the rear, uh, and, and somehow this makes me look strong. If Cam wants to do something to enhance his image, to me, Shamika, and this cut the hair, take the hats off, put on some clothes that fit, take off the, you know, him sitting there in the Superman deal, that to me is far more of a red flag to NFL coaches and executives. It's like Cam won't come out of character. He still thinks it's, 1987, is that the year, or, or 2017, is that when he won the MVP, I believe? 2015, yeah, 15, whenever he won the MVP. He still thinks it's then, and it's not then anymore. It's 2021, he's not Superman, he's basically looking for a backup quarterback's job. Dress the part. All the extra stuff, the hat, the hair, the Superman, the, the just the, even the attitude with, with the video. That's, rather than getting the vaccine, try that. When, when Cam can show up in one of these videos with a regular haircut and some regular clothes on, I think he'll be making a bigger step towards getting back in the NFL than taking that vaccine. Well, I've said a few times that Cam started dressing like uh, his name was Aunt Pearl. So I think that his dress is crazy. And you say mental weakness. I, I feel like he's mentally challenged. The way he sat in that video and said, a doctor told me they're basically inserting you with COVID. Ain't no doctor told you that. And if they did, they need their license taken. Then he went on to say, they inserting you with the antibodies. You can't even explain what you're sitting here pushing or trying to brag about getting. You're not even explaining it right. This is not the way the mRNA vaccines work. So what are you talking about? And then to say it's beneficial, how can you say that if you can't explain it? So I didn't feel, I didn't see confidence in that video. Like you said, I feel like he was made to get it. He doesn't believe in it. Yet you're sitting here as if you actually believe in what you did. It's a lie. And I don't respect anybody that gets up and just tell a lie. I don't, I can't respect that. That's not a man to me. All right, let's move on. Uh, Netflix employees are planning a walkout, a boycott of some sort uh, tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, I believe, in protest uh, to Dave Chappelle's comedy special, Not Being Stripped. Uh, from Netflix. Uh, I don't know how effective this walkout is going to be. The CEO of Netflix uh, seems to be standing pretty strong behind uh, Dave Chappelle, but they have a, a group of D, E, and F list uh, celebrities that I think are planning to join this walkout or boycott of Netflix. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> somewhat, I, I retweeted or I shared Somebody uh, said, look, man, this is why we need, what Dave Chappelle is doing is showing us the way you gotta stand strong because when you tell the woke no, 
they quit their jobs, they walk off their jobs, and that's actually a good thing. And, and so I hope that Netflix doesn't back down here. Yeah, I hope they stand strong. You know, I saw where one of the people, the celebrities, and you said DEF, I'm saying XYZ, and the X is for X-rated. Because when it comes to uh, T.S. Madison, the, the second entry in Google describes this person as she male, black, beautiful, big, with a long, wide so how are you telling us that Netflix needs a representation that's responsible when it doesn't really seem like you're responsible yourself? So I, I just it's, it's a joke to me. And the only thing these people have on code, the ones that are trying to be black women is appropriating the white man's hair or appropriating another racist hair, whether it's Brazilian or Indian like you. This is this is on code. You just hate a straight black man. What Dave Chappelle did was made jokes. It was funny. And how can you tell me that you feel oppressed, but you you can't be picked on? You so oppressed, nobody can make a joke about you. What he's it was funny. We all should be laughing, and you cannot be so high-minded that you can't laugh at yourself. Uh, before I let you go. I was told uh, you you liked my mono, my fire starter, and you had some thoughts on Larry Miller and, and Sports Illustrated and Nike and Phil Knight. I do, because, you know, I was reading it and I listened to you yesterday talking about the man and that he killed somebody. And now he wants to bring it out in the open because he doesn't want the story to leak when he's doing his memoir or whatever. To me, he is using this to just sell a book. The fact that he claims that he has remorse for it or that he's felt bad all this these years is a crock of crap. I tried to shoot somebody when I was in college. I shot at her the first time. I missed. Then I held the gun to her head and pulled the trigger, but the gun jammed. I have not been quiet about that. I've been open about it because I've used it to teach my children about making bad decisions and having a bad attitude, to teach other people about making sure that you know how to control your anger. So for him to act as if he wants to say it now and he's felt all of this remorse, no, you didn't. You hid it because you wanted to move up in the ranks. You felt like you wanted to keep this quiet. And if you really, truly had this this love or this passion to help other people you would have helped them a long time ago this is about him selling more books because really it probably would have been boring uh shamika uh, you've knocked me off of my feet here uh i feel like adam silver and uh phil knight and all the other people that are saying they never knew this about Larry Miller. <laughs> Explain to me, you shot at someone and held a gun to someone's head. Uh, walk me through what you're talking about. So I got into a fight on campus. I was in college. I got into a fight and during the fight, I pulled the gun out on the girl. I didn't use it at that time, but I left and went to this guy's house that we were both 
familiar with or both dealing with. She went and got her family that lived in the same city. So they came over to the house where we were and her cousin had her arms in her, like I have this jacket on now. Her cousin had her arms the entire time tucked in her jacket and she was talking all this junk to me and she said you know if you pull out a gun you should use it and I said well you're right and she said because when I pull out my gun I'm going to use it she didn't know I had already cocked the gun and it was I was ready for her. so when she went to pull out her hands I thought she was pulling out a gun because she said if I pull out my gun I'm gonna use it so I pulled mine out and I shot at her but I missed. The rest of the girls ran off, but she dropped to her knee. I held the gun to her head and I pulled the trigger again, but the gun jammed. You know, thankfully I wasn't a skilled shooter. I wasn't skilled with guns because I would not be here talking to you right now. But it was a, a lesson to me uh, on anger and just not making the right decision. Shamika. How long ago did this happen? Uh, um, let's see. I guess people know my age already. So uh, maybe about 28 years ago. And uh, wow, I wasn't expecting this story. And so it makes me want to ask, and I, I don't, we're going to have to get into this deeper, but it, your background a little bit, what, 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 what what's your background? I can't an eighteen year old female in particular that carries a gun. Uh, what college is this happening at, and and what what type of background did you come from? Well, I was at North Carolina A and T State University, Aggie Pride. This is not representative of all Aggies, um, but my background, I. I think I was raised decently, but I, I was raised in the black community. And I think it was just the thing to do. I listened to um, Ghetto Boys, that's one of my favorite groups. And I just started toting a gun in college. My friend was dating a guy from Fayetteville, North Carolina, which we call Fayetteville. And he had a nine millimeter, which I would always carry because he wanted us to protect ourselves. but. We had the little drawstring purses back then, and I would carry that with the barrel pointed up, which was crazy. And so I came home, and my best friend, who did not go to college, she was selling weed, and she had a gun, which was a 22. So I started carrying that one instead. So just that's why I said my book, me being naked on the cover, I don't see it as sex. I see it as a woman who's had a lot of life experiences and I'm still standing and, and I'm open and I'm honest about what I've done, whether it's good decisions or bad decisions. And that is that was the life that I lived and an experience that I had. What changed? And I, hopefully things did change, but what 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 shook you up and sent you a different direction? I think it was a series of things. One of the things was I was robbed at gunpoint. That that changed sitting in my friend's house, who, as I said, was selling weed. I was robbed at gunpoint. I I've been in the house where my house and my car was shot up, and I think just 
I had my daughter and I wanted a different life and I wanted to live life better for her. So I, I it was just the, the common sense thing to do. It's not about me anymore. It's about the, the person that I've brought into this world and I have to make better decisions for her. Uh, you know, as well as myself. So I think just continuing to live life and realize that what I was doing was stupid and it wasn't going to get me anywhere and just changing. And I got into the uh, church. I was raised in church, but some years after that, I ended up being ordained as a minister. So just deciding I wanted to do something different and be a better person. What was the aftermath of the incident with the young lady you tried to shoot? Were the police involved? Were there ever charges or did y'all just let it go? It was a street thing. It was a street thing. The police were never called. I was never charged. They started calling me quick draw at, at school because they just knew, okay, this girl has a gun and she's not afraid to pull it out or or fire it. So thankfully the police weren't called. I actually left the location immediately after everything happened and kind of went into hiding, I guess, a little bit. And a guy that I was dealing with who sold drugs uh, locally came and he got the gun and, you know, thankfully, no, the police were never called. We're going to have to follow up some more on this tomorrow. We're going to get more okay. into depth into the life and times of quick draw Shamika Michelle. Uh, wow. I was, th this conversation took a turn uh, that I was not expecting. Uh, we're going to get into this a little deeper tomorrow, though, Shamika. You, you've, wow. Uh, you've given me a lot to think about. Right. So Shamok is for real. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, Randy Moss was here in Nashville uh, last night, and I guess I should have called you for protection. Uh, I let let Randy know we about that life, and exactly. you know you don't we want this smoke. Don't try. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! All right, uh, let's let's. Go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. You just got another reason why you never know what's going to happen on this show. Uh, we are fearless and we are really transparent. And Shamika shared some stuff there that uh, I was not expecting. Go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit that like, hit that subscribe button. Join the fearless army. We got another fearless soldier coming up. Delano. Thanks. Gonna be hard for Delano uh, to top what we just heard from Shamika, uh, but he'll give it his best effort. Uh, let's roll out to Washington, D.C. and bring in the smartest man on the show, Delano Squires. Delano, I don't know if you uh, were just listening, or but Shamika Michelle just revealed that as an 18-year-old, she tried to shoot a young woman she had a dispute with, 
and just mm. broke that story down. You got, <laughs> we just heard a incredible story that I was not prepared for, but uh, I am prepared for this. I'm going to transition uh, to your column today, mm -hmm. which I think is the most important thing you've written since coming over to The Blaze. And I, I, I say that you, you've written a lot of important stuff, but this contains an original idea and thought and perspective that I certainly had never heard, and it centers around uh, society determines people's racial identity, individuals determine their gender identity. And societies determine race, individuals determine gender, God and science are uninvolved in either one of these processes. Uh, you gotta read uh, Delano's column. When it comes to gender and race, the left places far more trust in bigots and individuals than in science. This column's a mouthful. I suggest everybody uh, go read it. Uh, so Delano, uh, expound on the point of your piece today. Sure. Um, it really came to me at first when we, uh, a couple of weeks ago when, when, when I was actually in Nashville and we were talking about the whole Bubba Wallace situation. Um, and at one point I raised the question whether we should do away with the one drop rule. And you answered resoundingly yes. Um, and, I, and I started to have that thought in terms of how we have basically adhered to plantation style logic for the better part of the last 150 years. And then when the controversy around, you know, the, the Chappelle special, The Closer came out, and I saw that, that uh, the Netflix, uh, uh, the person's not an executive, but they're a showrunner for the show Dear White People, which actually is a show about the black college experience. And when I saw that the person who was threatening a boycott was a white transgender woman, which means a biological male, at first my thought was, well, why is this person the showrunner for Dear White People, which again is a show about the black college experience. But then I got to a, a more important thought, which is when I saw the time period in which this individual claimed to have transitioned, right? Um, and they, they track it on Instagram, December 16, 2020, they have a picture and a full beard and a jacket and, and dressed like a guy, looks like a guy. And then four days later, the same individual is in a dress, clean shaven, and say, saying that his, his new pronouns are she, her. And I thought all of America is supposed to turn on a dime and act as if this person actually is a woman. So we have taken what forever has been fixed, which is sex or gender, which always meant the same thing up until five years ago. And we have made the entire society say, no, that's completely fluid. People get to change it on a, on a whim and we must change and affirm them um, as soon as they make a change. And, and some people may say, I'm no gender at all. And then something like race, which again, and I said this in the column, um, people of discernible African descent have been called everything from Negro to black to mulatto to colored quadroon, octoroon, creole, mixed. So we, so we take what has been fluid 
and we've made that fixed. So when a person like Sage Steele says that she identifies as biracial or Tiger Woods or, or someone else wants to acknowledge both sides of their family, they're treated like a crazy person. And they're told you can't identify that way because society doesn't see you that way, right? The police won't see you that way. But when someone like Jacqueline Moore, who used to go by Jack Moore, decides that in a span of four days, they want to go from man to woman, we're all supposed to uh, act as if that is possible. Um, and then we are supposed to all affirm this person. Um, and, and then again, as, as I continue on in the column, I talked about right now it's more controversial to say that Barack Obama is biracial than it is to say that men can get pregnant. And I, and I just think it's time for everybody to stop playing along with that because it's one thing for people to say, I feel a particular way. It's another thing for them to compel other people to say words that they actually don't believe. And it's a third thing for the state or the institutions of culture or our jobs to compel us to say things that we know to be untrue. I'm telling you, this is a brilliant column that explores an important idea and really gets it. I'm just, to sit here and to think that society and some cultural norm that comes from the one drop rule that was actually instituted first here in Tennessee around mm. 19, in the early 1900s, and then I think in the 1920s, Virginia passed a law about the one drop rule, trying to protect racial purity. And, and, and so this legacy brought on by bigotry and trying to protect white supremacy, mm -hmm. we have now adopted it as our cultural norm. And we mm -hmm. as black people are the, the defenders of this cultural norm. One drop, you're black. And if you say you're biracial, you're a sellout. And, and mm -hmm. we, we toss you from our community. We, and again, this is why I go back to like, we've been given the mindset and the worldview of bigots. And we take it as a positive. And, and I include our adoption of the N-word as our favorite word. And only we get to use it. That's ours. We own that. We've turned it into this positive thing. And my God, no one else can use it. It's all ours. And literally like the N-word, we are more loyal to the N-word than we are our spouses. Mm. It, we get, if somebody steals the N-word from us, we are ready to fight, kill, shoot, what, run them out of a job. But uh, find your wife or, or husband tricking off, well, I can forgive that, or I understand, <laughs> I can go for that. But let the N-word run away from us for a hot second, and somebody, or it doesn't even take the N-word. Let someone notice that we have big lips and write it in an email. Oh mm. my God, with the world. Delano, I'm just, man, this was such an important idea and, and expression of it. And then the other thing where I thought took it to the next level is not just your point in this contradiction and this illogical irony out, is that you connected it to political power, that that's yeah. where this all comes from. 
Right, and and in the column I talked about, and you mentioned it just now, right? The the white supremacists wanted to keep the white race, quote unquote, pure. So they put anyone who was not, in their minds, pure or 100% white, out. And that was to solidify their political power at, at that time, right? And now what we've done, um, and, and you described this perfectly in terms of adopting all of those things, some of the, the worst elements of our history we've adopted as our own, um, you know, we, it's almost like you, 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 you get that family business handed down from you, and even though you're selling poison, it's like, well, this is what we've always sold, so we don't know any different. So now we have people, and I mentioned, you know, Robin D'Angelo, even Max Kendi, I could mention all different types of names on the, on the left, black and white, who hold to the one drop rule and have now added on, it's, it's the one drop slash BIPOC rule. Everybody has probably seen the B, capital B, I, P, O, C acronym and wonder what is this? And it's black, indigenous, and people of color. So really what the left is trying to do is expand the category of people of color, of blackness, so that they can cobble together a large enough coalition uh, that in their mind will fully and finally you know, topple white supremacy. So really whenever you see these, these terms, and BIPOC is one of them, um, it's always about white and non-white because this is how the left tends to think of about race. It's not what binds us together as a, as a common humanity. It's not about class. It's not about um, uh, economics. It's always about about race. So, as I said, they're trying to make that category as broad as possible, which is why someone like Stage, Sage Steele, who challenges their ideology who says, no, I'm both black and white. And, and for her, it's not just you know, an acknowledgement of both parents, it's, it's really um, a full acceptance of who she is as a person, both sides of her lineage, both sides of her heritage. Same thing you know, with, with President Obama. And I think that was a point she was trying to make, is like, it's strange that he would identify with solely being black when his father, his Kenyan father, left him and had no part in raising him, and he was raised entirely by his white mother and his, and his white grandparents. So, um, you know, so when someone like Stage Steele goes against the left's ideas around race, because they know if someone says, I'm both half black and half white, then that person will not be as fully committed to toppling white supremacy as someone who identifies as fully black. Um, that's why they attack her so viciously. Same thing with Tiger Woods, same thing with every, anyone else who dares to suggest that their full personhood should be honored when they talk about their identity. And again, for some reason, the left will say, no, you, you can't identify as biracial or mixed or, or half black um, because we're the ones that decide that. You know, We in the culture decide that. And we will let you decide your gender and whatever you say about that, we will honor because again, even that is political. Um, so you know, the larger that group of people grows, um, then the more power the left can amass for itself. Delano, I, I wanna push you on just some phraseology that you've mm -hmm. used in the conversation. And, and honestly, it was part of your column and during the editing process, it, it was tweaked a little bit, but I understand your point that in Ebron X. Kendi's mind, in Robin DiAngelo's mind, or I don't even really believe it's in their mind, but it's in their argument 
that they're trying to topple white supremacy. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that argument. I don't believe that's their agenda. I believe the agenda is uh, seizing political power. And, and you reference it earlier in your piece when you bring up uh, Hannah Nicole Jones or Nicole Hannah Jones and, and this whole political blackness, the term she came up with or she mm-hmm. uses. I, to me, I've seen it with Joe Biden when he says, you ain't black if you don't vote for me. And, and this is where our minds have been captured. And, and tomorrow, uh, when we get into Tennessee Harmony and I have Pastor Anthony and Pastor Bobby on, we're actually going to, your column's going to be a jumping off point and I have a whole discussion about politics from the pulpit and politics as an idol. And mm-hmm. you mentioned again, race as an idol is in, is in your piece. And I see race and politics as idols going hand in hand in terms of tricking black people in that there's this political mindset we must have in order to be black. And all it really is, it's a tactic mm-hmm. to keep us, to help people seize political power. And it's, and the people getting the political power, Rachel Levine, who's gonna be made a four-star admiral, admiral, this transgender woman that's in the public health sphere, I just saw in the Washington Post today, gonna to be a four-star admiral. She's getting some wow. power. This transgender woman, hats off. And we're making it possible as black people because we keep allowing our race to be used as a political weapon that's not benefiting those of us who are believers and have traditional values. And so I don't see this as a toppling of white supremacy. I see it as empowerment of a satanic leftist agenda. So, so I, I agree with you largely. I see the, the two things as, as intertwined, right? So they are choosing the venue of race, right? It, race is, is, a, is a vehicle. Um, and, and all the talk about white supremacy and whiteness and white culture, all the things that people have been hearing, uh, you know, even more for the last, let's say, three to four years, um, even down to the president when he's talking about, you know, America's problems with white supremacy. Um, so t- seizing that political power is part of, you know, how they frame that particular agenda. Um, you know, it's probably most easily seen in, in, in Black Lives Matter. Right. We've talked about how they've used the, the, the in many respects, the carcasses of, of dead black men to seize power for a particular goal. Now, they would say it's, you know, to fight against white supremacy. But ultimately, um, in many respects, the, the left has um, a Marxist agenda. Right. They want to topple capitalism. Ibram Kendi actually says that capitalism and racism are evil twins. So whenever you hear this type of language going on, they, they use race because they know uh, basically everyone on left and right acknowledges slavery as, as America's original sin, and that's the way it's framed. Um, and when someone has sinned and you see them struggling with guilt, one way to, get to, to control them is to continue to inflame their guilt and to say, 
see the things that you're doing now are just like the things you did before. And then you know that you can get them to grovel and say, okay, tell me what I need to do to be better. And that's what these people tend to do when it comes to race. So they, they will talk about, you know, the legacy of King and, and, and you know, trying to, to end racism and being anti-racist, but all they do is sow division. So again, I, I see those two things as intertwined in terms of, you know, their talk about white supremacy and really their, their goal in terms of seizing political power, um, punishing their enemies, toppling capitalism, unless it's, unless they're getting paid, unless their books are being sold, um, and doing everything else that they, they have on their agenda. But you, you mentioned the political blackness part, and I want to, to touch on that really quick, because, and I said this in the column, it has, we, we have morphed in some ways, and blackness has expanded in some ways to include political blackness. So when Joe Biden said what he said, when Hannah Nicole Jones, uh, Nicole Hannah Jones, excuse me, said what she said, a lot of people criticized them. But I actually think that they were making accurate assessments of where we are right now as it relates to, to race and politics. Because for a lot of black folk, um, even if they have conservative values, which we do, when we vote 90% one way, um, even the, the introduction of the term conservative or Republican will turn people off. They don't even have to hear what the person's agenda is. They just hear Republican and there's a Pavlovian response to say, oh, that's racist, that's white supremacist, and the black people who push a conservative agenda are attacked as toms and sellouts and coons. And that's why um, Sage Steele, uh, again, in addition to violating the left's rules about being biracial as opposed to being black, her conservative politics put her in the crosshairs. And that's why she didn't, you know, enjoy the same support, you know, after being suspended by ESPN as someone like, uh, you know, Jamel Hill. Delano, you use the word, and, and a lot of people do, and I, I'm starting to move away from this assertion that uh, there's a great many of us black people that have conservative values. Mm. I, I'm going to remove the word values and say we have some conservative thoughts. Mm. Uh, you know, values to me are something that you hold dear and you protect. Uh, something of value. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guarantee you, you go snatch a gold chain off somebody, they value that. They're willing to fight and do whatever. They, they ain't going to just let you run off with their gold chain. But Good these... Point values that we allegedly express and have, they, they go, you know, as soon as it comes time to go vote or support any initiative or whatever, it flies out the window without a care in the world. You know, I, I think if you went to the black church, most everybody there would say, <laughs> I'm anti-abortion. Uh, mm. And they have a anti-abortion thought, but <laughs> I don't know if our actions would back that up. And, and we certainly have no problem supporting people who are pro-abortion. And so that, that's one thing. But the other, the other masterful point, I mean, th this piece is layered, man, with just good stuff. You get in a, into talking about an assault on truth, basically. That, mm -hmm. And that, you know, as a Christian, like, truth is something you really value. Because without truth, there is no God. The, uh, the assault on truth is basically an assault on Jesus. And that's where I think this column really comes together because 
your number one point is when, when societies determine race, that's basically a feeling. That's not mm -hmm. the truth. That's not facts. When individuals determine gender, that's a feeling. That's not truth. That's not fact. That's not biblical truth. That's not what God created. It, it, it's, it's a feeling. And all of this catering and pandering that American society is doing over feelings is an actual assault on truth. And the assault on truth is an assault on God. Absolutely. And if, if I want people to take away anything from the column, it's exactly that point, right? This is not about um, you know, me being conservative or traditional. It's, it's no, the truth is, contending, is worth contending for. And we're in a battle for that truth. And for all of eternity, up until basically the last five years, everyone, whatever society, however, you know, whatever skin color, whatever religion they practice, everyone understood that in it, when it came to human beings, we had men and women, males and females, right? It's the most fundamental fact of, of human anatomy and human biology. So whether you draw that truth from Genesis or from genetics, everyone acknowledged that. A woman in 2021 would have been seen as a woman in 1921, in 1421, in 21 BC. So that has been fixed. But somehow we allowed a small number of very vocal people to, to yank those roots out of the ground and tell us that what we have always known to be true, right? Again, whether you come from the theological or the biological is no longer true and that there's a new truth in town that we have to ascribe to. And, and that's why I, I mentioned in the column that when Jacqueline Moore, you know, came out, so to speak, um, it was an opportunity for everyone else to drink the Kool-Aid because if we've made an idol out of race, we've made a cult out of gender ideology. And that's where we are right now. So um, to me, again, as a, particularly as a, as a Christian, and as a believer, one of the most important things I want people to take away is that this is not just about semantics and about words. This is about truth itself. And if someone can get you to deny that male and female are, are separate categories, that men and women are different, that there actually is a thing, you know, there are men and women. If someone can get you to, to affirm and to parrot the notion that men can get pregnant, they can get you to say anything. Um, and that's why I mentioned in, in the column that I'm so disappointed in many, in many Christians and many pastors, and particularly in the evangelical world, Right. The people who are theologically conservative or have theologically conservative thoughts, as, as you would say. And these are folks who oftentimes, again, are just as idolatrous when it comes to race. Everything is about skin color. And that's why they will go back generations in history to tell you about what white conservative evangelicals thought about slavery and Jim Crow and the Civil Rights Bill of 1964. But when it comes to the Equality Act, of 2021, they are nowhere to be found. They, they are not using their public ministry to, to teach or to confirm or to affirm what God's word says. When, when it says in Genesis 127 that God made you know, male and female he created, right? They're not using their platforms to do that. They have us constantly looking back in time uh, about skin color, about race and how 
you know, how people saw Africans and, and black folks in America. But when it comes to the battle that we're fighting today and that the battle that is yet to come, they're, they're nowhere to be found. So um, in, in many respects, it's up to just people with some common sense, people who know better. And when you get them you know, alone, away from the HR directors and away from their bosses and away from social media, they know that the notion that men can get pregnant is crazy. But for some reason, they feel like they have to play along. And, and we are feeling that pressure more and more in every area of culture, in every area of society. And I'm just to the point where I'm like, I'm not playing along. Because at the end of the day, at, at the end of the day Jason, I have to be able to look at myself in the mirror. I have to be able to look at my wife and my children in the mirror. And it's hard for me to tell my kids to be courageous and stand for the truth when they see daddy lying in public and in private every day you know, in order to save his reputation. So um, I'm willing to plant this flag and wherever it goes, it goes, because at a certain point, you know, people with some common sense, with, you know, religious views, conservative views, even even liberals who have known that sex is important, right, who 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 have pushed for sex based laws and policies, Title Nine, separate spaces for women. They're starting to see all those things eroded and, and they see the culture going from I am woman, hear me roar to this is a man's world. And even they are starting to stand up. Delano, I'm going to take that last four to five minutes and we're going to cut it off. And tomorrow I'm going to play it for Pastor Bobby and Pastor Anthony. Okay. And that's going to be the start of our conversation tomorrow. Uh, about this idolatrous culture we have going on here and just the, the importance of it because I, 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 we just keep trying to play with the word and, mm. and we just keep trying to bend the word to fit whatever's going on in the culture right now and to make sure that no one at the church is upset and, and mm -hmm. nothing that they hear contradicts what they heard from Oprah Winfrey last night or Gail King mm. or Stacey Abrams or whomever. Uh, thank you so much. I gotta, I'm got i begging you. people, go read this piece. When it comes to gender and race, the left places far more trust in bigots and individuals than in science. The piece is <laughs> about the assault on truth and how they're using gender and race to assault the truth, which is an assault on God. Uh, thank you, uh, Delano. I think I thank hear you, uh, tomorrow playing, uh, and that means it's time for some freedom, and that means the freedom for me to end this show and get out of here. Tomorrow we'll have uh, some Tennessee harmony, and uh, we'll get back into Shamika Quick Draw Michelle and Gunsmoke. Uh, we'll get some more explanation on that. I got to figure out who Shamika is. That was mind-blowing today. Just love this show. Uh, all right, that's it and that's all. We'll see you tomorrow. No negotiation, my sister, no relation. We all just want to have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone. I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back. We are receiving all the seed when we all want to be free. We want freedom. I just want, I want to be, I just want, I want to be, I just want, I want to be, I just want.